Oh, thank you so much, Joe, for those wonderful songs of praise that we've been singing. Kind of my sermon's been done, really. <laughs> uh, this morning, we're thinking about where love and justice meet. So we're focusing on the cross, and we're going to be taking communion. And, um, yeah, in some ways, this is just such a huge thing. And we need to get a glimpse of that now and again. But in many ways, it is also quite simple. And I suppose this morning, as we reflect on the cross, um, perhaps for many of us, thinking about things which are perhaps familiar, but I hope that it will become across simply. But also that our hearts will be reignited with love. We need that, don't we? I feel that this morning. I already feel that through the singing of those truths. God has reignited my love towards him and thanks to God. Okay, so when I was a child, I was told that Jesus died for me and I kind of had some idea about how awful it was that he hung on a cross and died. And quite honestly, my question was, well, why? You know, and oh, Jesus died for your sins. And I used to think, you know, honestly, I'm not that bad. He really needn't have gone to that length, you know. Um, and, and I really used to sort of quite um, think about that a lot. And I used to think, why, well, if God loves me, why can't he just forgive me when I say I'm sorry, job done, you know. That was my thinking. Uh, well, we grow older. We uh, perhaps grow in a bit of understanding, perhaps, and many of us perhaps are, you know, we hear God, Jesus taking the punishment for our sins and we give thanks for his sacrifice. We call it that uh, every time we take communion. But you know what? Those key childhood questions reemerge at times in our lives, don't they? And this morning in thinking about the cross as the place where love and justice meet, I want us to re-examine why Jesus died for the sins of the world. What was that all about? And in doing that, I really want to think about four things. We're going to consider four things, obviously, in, a, in not a lot of time. And the first two relate to who God is. We often have to come back to that. And the third one is about sin, and the fourth is about sacrifice. So number one... Who is God? Who God is? He is triune. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons existing in beautiful and loving harmony. So although the language of the New Testament often is, and is in this passage in John, which I'm now going to read, it's often God sent or God saved his son, God gave his son, it's not that the son was reluctant or the spirit somehow wasn't involved in what was going on. This whole massive enterprise was the initiative of the whole Godhead, father, son and spirit. The seemingly impossible task of saving the human race was voluntarily accepted and undertaken by the Godhead. All of them. The whole Godhead. 
God was in Christ, it tells us in Corinthians, reconciling the world to himself. So I'm just going to pause there. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <coughs> so that's number one, God is triune. Number two, when we think and we sing, as we've done this morning, about God, what we think about what we call his attributes, his characteristics. And we think about love and justice. They're the two things that we're thinking about this morning that come together in the cross. But we also think about patience, faithfulness, creativity, holiness, his judgment, and many, many other things. But we should not imagine that these different attributes, these different characteristics of God, we mustn't think about it in the human sense. Now, I don't quite know, some of you might not agree with me, please come to me afterwards and talk to me about this if you don't quite think this way, but I think that when we speak, think about ourselves and our characteristics, what we're good at, our strengths and our weaknesses, or maybe sometimes we're asked to give a reference for someone... We think of it like this. We might say something like, well, they're reliable and caring. Um, They're a person who's able to express themselves clearly and they have some well-thought-through ideas and can make sound judgments. And then we might say, but sometimes they get a bit overwhelmed by life and and then when they're a bit stressed, maybe they come across as a bit, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a bit, well, a bit stressed and maybe they say and do things a bit differently. Do you see what I'm saying? That we have different characteristics and we're not always consistent in the way that we present. I always think it's really interesting. I sometimes read the Newby Weekly News and I read the little reports of, of somebody who's gone to court. I used to do it a lot when Ian Campbell was alive. I loved it when it said, Ian Campbell defending said. I always think it was, it was sometimes quite funny because he was trying to defend a... <laughs> seemed like, oh dear. Anyway, quite often it says... It says, in defence of this person, uh, he acted out of character. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I find that an interesting thing. He acted out of character. 
Do you think it's possible to act out of character? Let's have a show of hands. Yes, if you think it is. No, if you think it's not. Not sure. You see, God is not like that. God is always, if you think about his holiness, his justice, his love, his faithfulness, he is always all of it, all of the time. Okay, that is different from us. Do you get that? And he doesn't just love. He is love, as we read in John. He doesn't just act justly. He is justice. And when God acts in judgment, he is still all love, all faithfulness. (coughs) He's always utterly consistent with all of his character. So when we say that at the cross, love and justice meet, it's not as if they were in different places before. Love and justice were always thoroughly united in the essence and character of God. It's just that love and justice are seen to be united at the cross in dramatic and startling ways. God was there. You know, justice on its own is harsh. And perhaps we experience and see that a lot in the world. You think of that picture of a, somebody being taken from the dock in handcuffs between two policemen. That's a chilling moment, isn't it, if you ever see that? Justice on its own is harsh. But when God enacts justice, when he judges sin, he does it out of love. God who is all love and all holiness, can't let sin go unpunished because he is also utterly and completely just and that wouldn't be just. Andy was talking last week about when he was ahead. He, he couldn't ignore if there was bullying or thieving or something going on in the school. That is not just. And a parent knows that they can't let children bite their sibling or something it's not just we know that we have to act sorry and it's not love not really but sometimes in our world there is justice without love and sometimes there's something that we call love and it doesn't have justice that doesn't happen with God at the cross God's love for the whole world is driving his justice. It's thoroughly involved with it. And his justice is demonstrating his love. They're not opposing things. So the third thing is sin. Well, we all know that we commit unkind and unselfish acts, we do things we shouldn't, and we kind of know that they come from somewhere. It's not like random. They come from somewhere inside us. There is a kind of root that's rotten. And 
And the Bible calls that our sinful nature. And there's that bit where Paul says, you know, he's got, a, he's got his new nature and he's got his old nature and he's, constant, he's aware of this constant warring that's going on inside him. And we think of that as our conscience sometimes, don't we? You know, we, you know there's part of us that wants to go and do that, but uh, we think, well, oh, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. There's that, there's that tension and that conflict going on within us. And by the same token... When we act in loving and unselfish ways, that also comes from somewhere. For me, the fact that in the world there is love, there is unselfishness, there is generosity, as well as all the things that we, that we are sad about, that for me is strong evidence that there's a good God in the universe. That even people who don't acknowledge God are capable of doing generous and unselfish things. That is an evidence for me that it's a good God in the universe. <coughs> so what we've got is we've got sins, the wrong things that we do, but then there's this sin, this basic thing that's wrong with me. And that is that I am not naturally in relationship with God. I read something this week. It said the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. No, I'm going to do it my way. And we do it. So all the time it's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it like this. What we're saying is, I'm in charge of my life, not you. Right? Man substituting himself for God. And that sentence finished with, where did I find it? Yeah, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man and taking the punishment for man's wrongdoing or for man's sinful condition. So even if, in my estimation, I'm not that bad, My situation is grave because any wrongdoing stems from this basic rebellion against God. But we don't need to stop there at all and we don't need to wallow in that because there's this good news of the cross that God's love is wonderful beyond comparison. It took Jesus to the cross. And the fourth thing is sacrifice. Sacrificing is denying yourself to benefit another. And again, we have, I think we have the most amazing examples of this around us. I sometimes look at parents with a disabled child, and the child grows up, and those parents pour themselves out in love, perhaps for a severely disabled child, And it's a lifetime of really self-giving. It's an amazing example of love. Or an elderly person, an elderly couple, and one of them gets Alzheimer's, and the other one. That is such an outpouring of sacrificial love, isn't it? When somebody in their 80s is working hard to look after their partner, their life partner. We, We do have some understanding and experience of sacrificial love. Jesus gave the whole of himself as a sacrifice for our sin, 
That's what it took. It took shed blood to deal with that root of rebellion, that root of us not being in relationship with God. You know, <clears throat> and I used to think about this when I was a child. We understand well how Jesus demonstrated the love of God in his life. He went around healing and reaching out to the poor and the vulnerable. He took children on his knee. He challenged the harsh enforcement of the law that the Pharisees were doing. And he, in his teaching, he said, in everything he did and said, he said, this is me, <clears throat> this is God, and this is what God is like, and this is how much God loves you. That was amazing. And I used to think, couldn't that have been enough? Couldn't he have just then thought, well, job done, gone back to heaven, and avoided the cross? You know, we might, as a human race, have tried to follow Jesus' teaching and example. Many people do, actually. <clears throat> but we'd still have that root, that nature, that puts us out of relationship with God. God is all holiness, all of the time. And so no sin can come into his presence. So Jesus' life, Wonderful and expiring as it was without the cross would have left the sin question unresolved. God is holy, all holy, all of the time. And however much I might manage to control some of my sinful acts, that root has still got to be dealt with. If I am going to have God in the right place, and I'm going to be in relationship with him. You know, there are some situations which are unsolvable. At the moment, uh, for a while now, one of the big things has been the Irish situation, hasn't it, with the, with the border since Brexit. So, um, you know, there was the Northern Ireland Protocol, and the agreement was that the, uh, the border between North and South would be kept open. But that means that Northern Ireland, that, that is still part of the UK, would still have to follow some EU law. And that's kind of impossible because they've come out of the EU. So, you know, it's a completely unsolvable situation. And I'm really quite glad that I don't have to solve that one. That's the circle that's got to be squared by somebody sometime in government. The circle that God had to square is that he is utterly and completely holy and just, but also utterly and completely loving and longing to forgive us and gather us into his love and into his relationship. And we humans are utterly and completely unable to get rid of our sinful nature. So the answer to my childhood question is that, yes, I'm afraid you are that bad. At rock bottom, I can't get God from my own efforts into the right place in my life, the place he deserves, 
I can't get into perfect relationship with him, however good I am. Unbelievably, and this is what is overwhelming, isn't it, really? God squared the circle by giving himself, by taking our punishment himself, by making us right with himself, himself. Only, I read this this week, only by providing a divine substitute can God express simultaneously his holiness in judgment and his love in pardon. He squared the circle whilst acting consistently with every part of his character. So that now I can come into relationship with God. I can come, I can come this morning and so can you. All of us can. We can come into God's presence, pure and holy. My sinful nature is covered by the righteousness of Christ. I want to read from a very well-known passage from Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Now... God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We step into him. Sometimes I can want to do that physically. Step into that place. It's probably a really inappropriate uh, comparison, but you know how Harry Potter gets under the what's it called? The cloak of invisibility. Yeah. Step into Jesus Christ. We are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. I am righteous. You can all say that this morning. I'm trusting in you. I'm standing in that righteous place. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he was going to do. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I think we need an amen somewhere. So this morning, let's come to communion 
excited in a new way with our place in the loving, forgiving, accepting arms of our Heavenly Father and with full thankfulness for his sacrifice that made it possible. Amen. Amen.